Welcome everyone, I'm Holly Bott, and this is From Surviving to Living, the podcast where raw stories of transformation are told. This is not just a podcast, it's the power of change. God is interested in you. My story is not fiction. I'm a woman, a felon, a sex offender. I did hard time. I am so awed by Jesus, I will risk my reputation and talk about it. He transformed me. He will do that for you. I trust him. I hope you do too. Are you hurting? Are you sick of just surviving? I was too. How does one really, truly live? God causes transformation. It is possible for everyone, thank God. I never saw it coming. Let me tell you how it happens. Get ready for your adventure of faith and life beyond bars. This is From Surviving to Living. Are you seeking purpose and direction? Are you eager to make a difference? Join me as I navigate a prison environment, encountering new challenges and unexpected lessons. Brace yourself for difficult co-workers and gripping tales of leadership. Discover the dynamics of power, revealing defiance and resilience will reveal the secret to making a profound impact for others. Listen until the end you won't want to miss it. This is Ring Toss and Doppelgangers. I began my job in General Assembly the end of November 2011. Also called rubber, it was housed in a large warehouse building shared by several education and industry job opportunities. There were two main jobs, ring inspections and cutting rubber. Rings were actually gaskets needing quality control inspections. Cutting rubber involved trimming excess rubber from molded car parts. The room was divided in half, each with its own supervisor and leads. I was assigned to rings. Base pay was 50 cents. It was an industry job though, and one could do pie work, work at non-prison wages, four to six dollars per hour. I was eager for that privilege. Work started by retrieving a tub of gaskets and returning to your desk. You examine each for flaws, removing small imperfections and rejecting ones with cracks. Slowly, the tub would empty, rejects and perfects identified. I was just getting settled when Danielle arrived, launching her new career in rings to my right. Danielle didn't want this job. Why didn't she take a sick every day until she was fired? Sicking out is an option. Danielle was determined to get fired for bad behavior. Her new supervisor seemed determined to keep her here. A bizarre power struggle unfolded. It soon became clear Danielle was a veteran in this type of war. 
she employed several awesome bad behaviors with drama. She'd arrive at work and slap herself into her desk dramatically. Danielle was tall, in her 20s with long brown hair. Tossing her coat to the floor, she'd stamp over to grab a tub of rings. Much heavy sighing and shoulder heaving added for effort. Returning to her desk, she'd begin a vigil. She slept at her desk with a blue prison coat tucked under her chin. Snoring was always an option. She occasionally awoke. Waiting to catch her supervisor's eye, she'd toss rings high into the air around the room like candy at a parade. Gaskets bouncing and rolling across the floor, she'd continue to empty her tub of rings faster than the rest of us. Interested and outraged, I waited for our supervisor's response. I thought she was awful. Gaskets rolled past my feet as I examined another one of my own for tiny cracks and set it in the perfects pile. I considered throwing a few at her back. Officer Mike was the guard who ran our half of General Assembly. Mike would occasionally have a talk with her. I would have preferred these talks be stern lectures and threats of discipline. They were not. It appeared Officer Mike was trying to help her. I do not remember the outcome, what happened to her as relates to that job. I took this all in, though. I was learning that guards can be people who care about people. Can you relate to dealing with a difficult person? Have you been a difficult person at one time or another? The other half of the room was run by a guard named Officer Kim. Miss Kim was small and intimidating. She didn't take any crap. She ran General Assembly much like the classrooms at the private school I grew up in. Stern. She missed nothing. No talk. And there was no talking. People were afraid to talk, and if they did, it was in hushed whispers. She could still hear you, and would come out of the office to yell at the room. She sent an inmate to SEG once for having a pen. To be fair, she commanded the inmate to turn over the pen three times. The inmate refused three times. The third time, Miss Kim demonstrated her seriousness by placing a hand on her walkie-talkie, showing that refusal to comply would mean arrest and discipline. The inmate had the pen tucked behind her ear like a backup cigarette. Her response was to slowly reach up, dislodge it from her ear, and let the pen tumble to the floor. She waited, daring Miss Kim to bend over and pick the pen up at her feet. Miss Kim shook her head sadly and hit the walkie-talkie, calling for backup. Soon the inmate was surrounded by several guards, handcuffed, arrested, and being perp-walked to segregation. I tried to imagine the conversations that would take place later in segregation as everyone shared the tales of daring-do they had committed to deserve going to seg. I was fighting. Yeah, I was doing drugs. What about you? Well, I wouldn't give a guard a pen. What a proud moment it must have been for that inmate. One day, as I was inspecting rings, I glanced over at Miss Kim's side of the room and noticed Rebecca standing near her desk. Rebecca was another interesting inmate. She'd recently been assigned this job and her heart wasn't in it. 
Her heart wasn't in much of anything. She was friendly, but not a high achiever. Rebecca had been assigned to cutting rubber. She was not good at it. I cannot say whether she was actually trying and simply unable to do well, or rather performing poorly on purpose. The result was the same. Lots of ruined car parts. She was also extremely slow. On this particular day, I looked up to see Miss Kim approach Rebecca and meet her at her desk. Miss Kim certainly would have every reason to discuss Rebecca's poor work. That's not what she did. To my surprise, she said, Rebecca, I want to tell you I'm impressed with your self-discipline. This job starts early and it's full-time, long hours. It's clear you do not enjoy it and you find it difficult. Most women choose to sick out until they are fired, but you continue to come here every day and on time. That's very unusual. So I want to ask you, how can I help you? Let's make this work. Wow. Years later, I became an adult basic education GED tutor at the prison. Still incarcerated, we are just fast forwarding a bit. Our teacher would often have students work in groups, and a student named Felicia had recently been added to the class. Felicia appeared extremely depressed. She rarely did her work, even when put with a group where she could simply copy answers from them. She wouldn't ask for help, and she rarely spoke at all. Felicia sat frozen, hugging herself, rarely talking, rarely moving, and never smiling. After a few weeks, I bought a blank card on Canteen. I wrote in it and I told her how glad I was to have her in our class, and I wrote the reasons. I started, Felicia, I want to tell you I'm impressed with your self-discipline. It's clear that you do not enjoy coming to class. Most women choose to sick out until they are fired, but you continue to come here every day on time. That's very unusual. You are respectful to the teacher, and you do not disrupt class. You are very honest, and that shows when you refuse to turn in your work that you did not do yourself. I am glad to have you in class. How can I help you better? I mailed her the card, and she never made mention of receiving it, but... A few days later, she arrived to class for the first time ever with all of her work completed. She joined her group and worked with them. She raised her hand to ask for help. She did not smile, but she talked. She shared. She cried. She started to live again. She appeared to breathe for the first time in months, if you know what I mean. It was no accident Danielle was seated next to me, nor was it coincidental that despite Rebecca being across a busy room, I happened to look over at just the moment Miss Kim was heading over to have a talk with her. I learned some things from Officer Mike and Officer Kim. I was about to meet someone else important. Strolling towards Tubman where I lived, I did a double take. My mother-in-law appeared to be heading down the nearest walkway to Broker. This seemed impossible for several reasons, not the least of which she wasn't a criminal as she didn't live in Minnesota. And yet. But it was just a glimpse and the woman was gone. I shook my head and moved on, laughing at myself. Impossible, I snorted. A week later, Laura, my pseudo-mother-in-law, was sitting in front of me in General Assembly. The similarities were stunning. 
I'd known my mother-in-law for 20 years, and they had seen our relationship in many stages. Right now, that stage was pretty poor. Laura spun in her chair to introduce herself. Leaning forward and resting her arms on the desk between us, she tossed out, Hi, I'm Laura. What's your name? Her green gaze penetrated mine as she waited. Not allowed to talk at work. The room was hushed as a library. Also, my mother-in-law's name isn't Laura, so several small conflicts took place within me. What rose to the top of the emotional pile was, Me? You talking to me? I didn't say that out loud, but I acted it out like charades. I froze, my project in hand. General assembly was laid out like a classroom and Laura and I were in the same row. Raising my eyebrows, I turned to the left, slowly, and even though I was the last person in the row, I looked over my shoulder to see who Laura was making new friends with. No one was behind me, and no one was in the row to my left. Returning my gaze to the front, Laura is still staring at me. She made no mention of my curious behavior so far. Still a bit off, I decided to check my right side for Laura's new friend who's certainly not me. Another slow swivel with similar results. Feeling a bit silly, I returned my gaze front and center. Nonplussed, Laura finally answers my unasked question. Yes, I'm talking to you. What's your name? Oh. Laura became a wonderful friend. She was so much like my mother-in-law that I could not remember to call her by her real name. I always called her by my mother-in-law's name for months. She got used to it. She started answering to it. What can you do? By this time, my husband had moved to Washington with our children and was living with his parents. And this was very hard for me to even think about or imagine. I hated that they were so very far away. My relationship with him and his family had become very strained. In my heart, I was very bitter. I wondered if God had placed Laura in my life to soften my heart in this area. Laura was very easy to love, and she was a daily reminder of how easy my mother-in-law had been to love. My heart began to thaw little by little, and bitterness started to leave me. Listener, are you searching for meaning and purpose in your life? Are you faced with conflict? difficult relationships, or challenging people in your life? Are you facing uncertainty, financial hardship, adversity? These are hard problems that can make us feel trapped. The From Surviving to Living podcast is about real life transformation, real help. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, hold fast to my teachings and live in accordance with them, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's in John 8. So let's look in his word and discover the truth, the meaning and purpose of life. And God says in Ecclesiastes 12:13, all has been heard, the end of the matter is, fear God, revere and worship him, knowing that he is, and keep his commandments for this is the whole of man, the full, original purpose of his creation, the object of God's providence. It's the root of character. It's the foundation of all happiness. It's the adjustment 
to all in harmonious circumstances and all conditions under the sun, and it's the whole duty for every man. So what does that mean? The foundation of all happiness sounds good, and so does everything inharmonious being adjusted. This is talking about morality, worshiping God and obeying Him. So how do we understand that in relation to the meaning and purpose of life? C.S. Lewis explains in his book, Mere Christianity. He says there are two ways in which the human machine goes wrong. One is when people drift apart or collide with one another and do damage. The other is when things go wrong inside a person. You can get the idea if you think of us as a fleet of ships sailing in formation. The voyage will only be a success if first, the ships do not collide or get in each other's way, and second, if each ship is seaworthy. In fact, you cannot have one without the other. If the ships keep hitting each other, they will not remain seaworthy very long. On the other hand, if their steering gears are out of order, they will not be able to avoid collisions. But there is one thing we have not talked about yet. We have not asked where they are trying to go. However well the fleet sailed, its voyage would be a failure if it were meant to reach New York and actually arrived at Calcutta. So morality seems to be about three things. First, fairness and harmony between people. Second, tidying up things inside each person. Third, the general purpose of human life as a whole. What man was made for. What course the whole fleet ought to be on. C.S. Lewis continues that you may have noticed people are always thinking about the first thing and forgetting the other two. When people say we are striving for kindness and fairness between nations and individuals, they are only thinking about harmony between people. When a person says about something they want to do, this can't be wrong because it doesn't do anyone else harm, they are only thinking of the first thing. They are thinking it doesn't matter what their ship is like inside, provided they do not run into another ship. Well, that's natural, to begin with this first thing, social relationships, because the results of bad morality are so obvious to everyone, war and poverty and greed and lies. And also, as long as you stick to the first thing, there's very little disagreement about morality. Almost everyone agrees in theory that people ought to be honest and kind and helpful, don't you think? But if our morality stops there, we might just as well have not thought at all. What good is it to tell ships how to steer so they can avoid a collision if they are in fact such crazy old tubs? They cannot be steered at all. What good is it to create rules on paper if we know that our greed, cowardice, and conceit are going to prevent us from keeping them? It is good to improve our social system. We should try. But all of our thinking will be nonsense unless we realize that you cannot make people good by writing good laws. And without good people, you cannot have a good society. But we cannot stop there. We are at a third point in which different beliefs about the universe actually lead to transformed behavior. Let's go back to the man who says that a thing cannot be wrong unless it hurts someone else. He understands that he must not damage the other ships, but he honestly thinks that what he does to his own ship is his own business. Is that something you've ever said to yourself? Have you heard someone say that before? Does it not make a great difference whether his ship is his own property or not? 
it makes a big difference whether I am the landlord of my own mind and body or only a tenant responsible to the real landlord. If someone else made me for his own purposes, then I shall have a lot of duties which I would not have if I simply belonged to myself. God says in Ezekiel 18.4, Behold, all souls are mine. He says again in Job 41.11, Whatever is under the whole heavens is mine. How important is this to you? To me. God tells us that we all, every person, are going to live forever. Either it is true or it is false. There are a lot of things which would not be worth bothering about if we were only going to live 70 years. But we should take very seriously if you and I are going to live forever. Perhaps your bad temper is gradually getting worse. In 70 years, it might not be very noticeable, but it will be absolutely hell in a million years. C.S. Lewis finishes by explaining with this thought, there is one other important difference. If we were only to live 70 years, then a state or a nation, which may last a thousand years or more, is more important than one person. But if Christianity is true, then the individual is not only more important, but incomparably more important, for he or she is everlasting. And the life of a state or a civilization compared to him or her is only but for a moment. Listener, you are precious, important, priceless, and you have a God-given purpose. Let's read again what it is. All has been heard. The end of the matter is, fear God, revere and worship Him, knowing that He is, and keep His commandments, for this is the whole of man, the full, original purpose of His creation. And where does Jesus say that we can learn how to do this? He says, if you abide in my word, hold fast to my teachings and live in accordance with them, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Dear Jesus, I pray for the person listening right now and I pray for me that you will give us a craving for your word. Help us to trust and obey you. Teach us the truth. Amen. Be encouraged today. Look for more episodes that inspire at hollybot.me. Until next time, remember, your story is never over. God's grace is always waiting to rewrite it. This is From Surviving to Living. Surviving.